1978, when disco was on top. I'm making it. These guys partied to a different beat. <laughs> you know what KISS stands for? Knights in Satan's service. We just watched Jam's mom torture our KISS tickets. Nobody's missing that concert tomorrow night. We're not stealing my mom's car. Damn right we are. The night is young, filled with possibilities. Beth? Yes? Oh! Hey, you little twerps. Give me your KISS tickets or I'll pop your faces in. KISS sucks! <laughs> You're the coolest. Detroit Rock City. It's a girl walking along the side of the highway. We should pull over and help her out. I mean, they, they make scary movies that start out like that. Hey, but, but they make porno movies that start out like that too, man. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I'm one of your hosts, Sleepy Pat Mitchell, and joining me on this sleepy podcast is Sleepy Adam Walker. Oh, we're so sleepy. <laughs> me, me, me. You mean my? You're bye-bye. sleepy because, uh, as a uh, as a servant of the night, yeah, um, you you stay up late for your various gigs um and so i appreciate you hopping on with our uh you know the time dispute that we have between us and i'm just sleepy because i i just have my daughter waking me up at an ungodly hour and i didn't go to bed until an ungodly hour so we're both sleepy today well we we both were partying in different ways. You, you're, we you're doing the the wrestling party, and I uh, was partying at a um, at an EDM show until two in the morning. Holy fuck! You were at an EDM show until two in the morning, and I was. As of this recording, this is WrestleMania weekend, so I was just simply partying at home watching WrestleMania. But the show must go on. I'm actually very excited for the content. I feel like. The content, the movie for tonight is a good vibe because it's a real, a real fun, easy, breezy little movie to talk about. So no, nothing too fucking crazy or, or deep. Um, we're talking about Detroit Rock City tonight, uh, one of my favorite comedies. Um, but before we get into that, do, we, do you want to play a little bit of Stump the Chump? Let's do it, my man. Stump me. <laughs> Chump, okay. Chumpy. Stump me, chump me, do me, baby. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Let me get a time uh, stopwatch up. And whenever you are ready, I'm ready. Let's do this. Okay. Raging Bull, 1980. Robert De Niro. Dear, no, dear Mr. Wonderful, 1982. Easy Money, 1983. Once Upon a Time in America, 1984. Man on Fire, 1987. Lethal Weapon 2, 1989. Goodfellas, 1990. Home Alone, 1990. JFK, 91. This will give it away if it hasn't already. My Cousin Vinny, 1992. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I had it, like, I had it at Raging Bull, but because... 
I'm sleep deprived. And for some reason, we've talked about this before with this game. Our brains just shit the bed. They do. Yeah, but this game is yeah. a, a very high pressure situation. And for two dudes that have struggled to fucking come up with names off the cuff. Yeah, it's it's asking a lot of us. Congrats, my man. You you did it. Um, my cousin Vinny is I think it's my favorite comedy of all time. Um, and I don't know if you've ever heard the Marissa Tomei story about her Oscar for winning Best Supporting Actress. She won Best Supporting Actress for um, for uh, my cousin Vinny. Um I mean, I can't remember the the guy who was announcing some fucking old fart, like drunk piece of shit was announcing best supporting actress in the 89 or 90 Oscars. And it is rumored that he said Marissa Tomei's name because it's the last one that he read. And he it's the last it's the last name that he remembers. But it's rumored that Marissa Tomei was was not supposed to win that supporting actress, which is fucking <laughs> bullshit because she does an incredible job. But yeah, a weird little Oscar thing there. Um, I feel like we don't do a lot of comedies on this uh, podcast. So I wanted to um, kind of we do we do comedies, but they have to be they always have to be in the vein of something else. Like it's always like horror comedies or like, right, you know, things that are comedic, but in, in an offbeat way or whatever. But this is like a a good segue because I feel like I could do I could maybe choose my cousin Vinny down the line. I love that fucking movie. Um, but tonight we're doing Detroit Rock City. It's interesting when I mentioned it last week. I and this is great. I don't have any litmus test. I could not read your face at all. I, I can't tell if you liked this movie, if you've even seen this movie, I assumed you had, but I, I haven't, I don't know. Um, I don't know anything that you're feeling. So off the top, I'm very curious about your initial reactions, having revisited it. I'm a mannequin. You are. I'm uh, holding my heart, holding my cards close to my chest. Close to your vest. Is it chest or vest? Either way, whatever you want today, it's your day. At. You can just I'm make vest, things up. I'm vestless, baby. Right to my You're chest. Um, I actually really like this movie. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, um, I feel like there's not much to fucking hate about it, but, you know, you never know. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that you picked it because <laughs> part of me thought, oh, Pat's just really... You, you, as you said, we're go- going tit for tat because mm. I keep picking these emotionally, mentally laborious movies, and and so you counter with uh, a movie uh, like this, which is essentially it's just junk food candy. Um, Hit the so- reset button a little bit, get, you know, <laughs> do something real, real stupid and mindless, especially after the emotional. Uh, excursion from from last week in the boxers omen i i feel like you brought so much to the table for me to think about that i almost we almost have to do like a podcast for the podcast like now i've thought about it and i'm like ready to discuss it but the time to discuss it was last week and the time to discuss detroit rock city is is now so i guess mm-hmm. we save that but um are you a kiss fan i don't even I know this okay yeah, I, I really it, like kiss a lot it's funny i'm not i'm not even really a kiss fan i 
I like Destroyer. Like I like they're fine. Uh, I don't really delve very deep with them. I like the idea of Kiss more than their music. Like I like what they represent more mm. than musically anything that stands out. Detroit Rock City is like my favorite Kiss song. Uh, I fucking love that song. So uh, I like that <laughs> it's named after that. But um, yeah, I, di- I didn't even know if you were a huge Kiss fan or not. I assumed you probably were, but you know. I would say I'm not a huge Kiss fan. I actually, at the time that I should have been delving headlong into Kiss's catalog and eating it up, I I actually turned my nose up at them when I was real young. Mm. I thought they were... It's because I didn't have the best introduction to Kiss. Yeah. Um, Well, I actually, if if you really want to go back for the farthest, I do distinctly remember when I was real little, four years old, stumbling into an older teenager's bedroom and seeing the Kiss posters all over and being terrified, you know. But fast forward into the late 80s and early 90s, um, Kiss had their quote-unquote comeback album at that time. Um and it was, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on it, but, uh, you said late eighties, early nineties. Well, it would have been, so it would have been the same album that coincided with, they had a song on the Bill and Ted's bogus journey soundtrack. Oh, God gave rock and roll to you. And I remember at that time, um, I was even, it's funny because I was even more of a hater then than I I had become subsequently. I just would not get into certain bands and musicians if they just did the slightest thing that irked me the wrong way. And the fact that they had a song called God Gave Rock and Roll to You really chapped my ass. So (laughs) it's interesting that you ever came around. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just, there's, there's a few bands that are like that, that, they kind of ticked me off right from the get go and I loosened up around it. But yeah, I, I did get into kiss later on because they, they, they rule all those early kiss records. I like kiss up into the eighties, even after they started taking the makeup off, but I'm yeah. not, I'm not one of those as, as shown in this, in this movie, one of those fanatical, people that just their whole life revolved around kiss they just wanted to be kiss it was never like that but i do i do like them so yeah interesting i was curious about that as well yeah well this for me this movie for me even despite not even really liking kiss a great deal i'm just more neutral um is just a very it's like a comfort movie to me. I like I can't really put my finger on it what about it specifically other than it just checks a lot of boxes for me and holds up to repeated viewings, which is re- basically all I need for something to be like a comfort movie. Something that I can return to often and still get everything I I wanted out of it. Um so I love this fucking movie so much. Um the plot just description. To- yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Continue with the plot I was just going to say, move into the plot description, unless you had any other th- more thoughts, initial thoughts. Oh, just real quick. Um, that album that I was trying to think of is Revenge. 
There I was go. okay because I had their disco- <laughs> this their discography up, and I was like, I have no idea. Like, there's Animal Eyes, Crazy Nights. Like, I was like, I have no, I don't even know. What yeah, it came out in '92. Yeah. So, anyways, but <laughs> okay. continue on, my gotcha. friend. <laughs> Plot description for anybody who uh, not familiar with this movie. Very simple. Four diehard uh, teenage Kiss fans will do anything, and I mean anything, to see their their idols live in concert. So they they travel from who the fuck knows where, Ohio to Detroit. Is there? Do we know Cleveland. where they live? Cleveland. Oh, they're they from, do live in Cleveland. Okay, they're from Cleveland. So they they venture from Cleveland to Detroit to see uh, their favorite band for the first time. Um. Made for $17 million, it only grossed $5 million in the box office. So uh, we are – this is a, uh, a classic a classic midnight flicks case if there ever was one. Something that is uh, just didn't do very well and kind of has mixed to negative reviews but is – became uh, – had a cult following later on. I pulled the most negative review I could find from the time that it came out um, – Janet Maslin of the New York Times said, with one of the worst films in recent years already to his credit, she's talking about director Adam Rifkin, and she's talking about the movie The Dark Backward, which apparently is a 1991 movie in which Judd Nelson grows a third arm between his shoulder blades. I have no fucking idea. That sounds amazing. (laughs) It does sound amazing. And this woman sounds like a real stick in the ass. So uh, (laughs) maybe we got to do The Dark Backward now. Anyway. With one of the worst films in recent years already to his credit, Adam Rifkin aims for two in a row with this wary promotional comedy. The cast, which is which also includes Natasha Lyonne as a disco bimbo, never has much of a chance to shine, and the main attraction is kept all too understandably under wraps. Uh, so, just over her head. Um, but this didn't do well, and it's... It, Critically was panned, which seems crazy. Like, I don't know how something like Dazed and Confused is lauded, uh, like for what it what for what it is. And, and same with like Rock and Roll High School. And this is more in the vein of Rock and Roll High School. Um, I don't know why this was shit. I like I, I can't pick parts of the movie and being like, I understand why it's critically not successful. I don't understand it with this. I don't know if you have anything to add. Um, I'm right there with you. That actually is quite baffling. And I didn't know that it was such a stinker until actually this time that I watched it, because when I watched it years ago for the first time, I just assumed it was a big hit. And then when I was looking it up again this time, I saw that it had the only thing that I saw that kind of gave me that hint without delving further was. If you look up things on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, it's got the the splatter or the fresh. Yeah. And it had like the little goopy, like, yeah, like cum stain thing. <laughs> and yeah, I, I thought that was thing, wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and just to, you know, to kind of carry on from what you were saying, there were so many nostalgic throwback 70s throwback teen comedy type of things that came out in the 90s that I felt were appreciated more than this and I just don't understand the difference this is a really fun easy to watch movie um so that's wild it's it's really 
really bizarro and but a perfect fit for this podcast because uh, you know we like to like to give give credit to uh, overdue you know films that that had it coming for well you know a while. also because I looked up the dates yeah to me this movie felt in a lot of ways that it almost prefaced or might have influenced say freaks and geeks yeah and 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 you know the Jud, Judd Apatow the new kind of brat pack of comedy type of troupe and yeah. they came out a month apart from one another production wise I could I could definitely see that yeah there was definitely some some late 90s uh you know, everyone's always nostalgic and opining for you know two dec, you know two decades previously. It happened in the eighties. Like the eighties was obsessed with nineteen fifties culture. Right. Um, we because, always just look back two or three decades and and think everything was better. Yeah, because people that grew up during that time, that's when they come of age. Yes. Yeah. To, right. to start producing culturally conspicuous things they're the trendsetters so right they're the ones that are getting people into the nostalgia loop now granted i don't feel that that happens like it used to because we're in this wild hyper post capitalist whatever we're in neo-feudal kind of thing where we don't create new culture. We're just kind of in the same loop over and over. So we just kind of are nostalgic f- for the same 30, 20 to 30 years over and over. Because I think about this a lot. I don't know how much you think about it, but in the 90s, the 70s felt like a really long time ago. But yeah, now it did. Yeah. We're here in 2022 and the early 2000s doesn't feel it was it's the early 2000s and late 90s were longer ago from now than we were in 1999 to the 70s to the 70s yeah <laughs> so anyways but going back to my original point i felt that this movie did influence things that came even though like I said, Freaks and Geeks was produced concurrently, so it couldn't have necessarily been that they had some sort That's of true. mutual too influence. Close together. But yeah. it was a thing that was in the universal consciousness and a lot, or at least again, the consciousness of people that were that were setting the trends or or creating content that influenced people. It's because they grew up during the seventies. They were the ones that were influenced by Kiss and 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 all of that. So yeah, there you go. Absolutely. And it, I mean, it did, there is this, uh, there is this pull towards 90s stuff like, uh, Jonah Hill doing mid nineties. And it's like, so all those kids on the, on the come up in the nineties, uh, nineties is definitely in, in fashion now. Sure. Um, so I think that's the closest thing we have to it, but yeah, what does, 2005 culture even look like it's a culture died with 9-11 like there it just seems like an amorphous blob of culture since then like nothing really uh stands out it just every decade bleeds into the next with with no (laughs) nothing really standing out right no demarcation lines no clear demarcation lines nothing that you can 
that you can repackage them. Like 79 and 80, like the year 1979 and the year 1980 seem like like transcendently different. And the year like 2009 and the year 2010 might as well be all the same garbage. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the same shit. <laughs> um, okay. Well, do we want to get into uh, the good, the bad, and the questionable? Yes. Let's do it, my friend. Two things to get the juices flowing here. Perfect movie length. 94 minutes in and out. Just couldn't ask for a more perfect movie length. Um, You know, anything that's treading towards or over two hours uh, has to has to be epic in quality to (laughs) to kind of uh, warrant such a movie length. But 94 is perfect in and out. And it, it just flows like from the jump. Um, I thought I would also just start with a good with because there's so many great scenes. My favorite scene, favorite, favorite scene, uh, is the boys, um, jailbreaking jam from the boarding school dressed as the pizza delivery boys. That is like the height of the, I, I feel like that the movie almost peaks, which is funny because it's really early. It's fairly early in the movie. I love that fucking scene. So, so much specifically, Joe Flaherty, who plays mm. uh, Father McNulty, is giving me the best five minutes of his acting life. It's like the equivalent of somebody checking into a, a basketball game, having not played at all, but like he's being inserted because a bunch of players fouled out and then they end up like hitting the game winning shot. Like he's there for five minutes. It is just riffing the whole time and then you never see him again. And it's fucking awesome. It's so good. Yeah, I love Joe Flaherty. Um, were you ever an SCTV fan? No, no. Is oh. he in that? Yeah, if you ever get a chance, go back and 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 look up old episodes of SCTV. Are are you familiar with SCTV? I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's where all those great Canadian comedians came out of. John Candy, Rick Moran. Well, not Rick mm. Moranis, but uh, uh, Martin Short, uh, Joe Flaherty. That whole troop. Wait, I think Rick Moranis was from from SCTV. He had I to think. have been, right? I believe he was. Yes. Yeah, sorry again because of the circumstances. My brain's not quite working. But great. But also, you already mentioned Freaks and Geeks. He's the dad in Freaks and Geeks, and moreover, I right. just always he I, he's akin to Happy Gilmore to me. But um, <laughs> Jackass, yeah. Jackass. Yeah. He's yeah. just he he's so funny and he's great and everything. But yes, I agree with you on on that. And to so. pull uh, uh, to pull an Adam here, uh, this is a highly quotable movie, and I don't say it's, that about a lot of our movies. Uh, 
but so many one-liners <laughs> so many so 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 many one-liners specifically the father mcnulty stuff I, I i love the like satan satan santa they're the same letters they're the same guy <laughs> <laughs> he yeah does some, he does some really good stuff with the with the shroom pizza uh the thing uh, uh i just heard you talking through my nose is it possible my nose has eardrums nose drums like the delivery of nose drums is so good. He has a knack for comedic timing that has obviously been cultivated since SCTV. But yeah, uh, yeah, not and not just that scene, just a, a a movie rife with quotes. I remember quoting Detroit Rock City like my friends and I in, in high school, just like quoting the shit out of it because it's one of those movies that you stumble upon, you know, fairly early on, and and you just quote the shit out of it. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to add off the top was we love to talk about our, our girl Lynn Shay, and we get an immediate dose of her freaking out, having a great freak out moment there. And she just, she does a wonderful job acting as, um, Jam's mom. <laughs> I put, uh, cause obviously she's in my good. I put Lynn Shay deserves, uh, the midnight flicks equivalent of a lifetime achievement award. Yeah. I just like, She's given so much and asked for so little in return. She just see like I, she does with every role. I, I know. I feel she she delivers so hard in whatever role, especially in those '90s roles, uh, Kingpin. This yeah, she's just man. taking it so over the top. Yeah, yeah. So. I I adore her unendingly, uh, yeah. and she is so so good in this as like the overbearing hyper religious uh, satanic panic mom it's so good it's so yeah. good Incredible. Yeah, she's, she's fantastic when i was talking about things that uh you know movie this movie checks a lot of boxes for me you already know this about me but movies that take place in one day we've got it here um, yeah and journey movies so like this is like the epitome of you know, I guess at the very, very beginning, it's the night before. But from the moment Jam wakes up uh, and he has like the kiss, uh, the kiss pulled down uh, over his window from the moment Jam wakes up in the morning, it's the rest of the movie is all like the same day, which is awesome. Yeah. And then we have speaking of the night before, I do enjoy a good 70s teen garage band montage. So we have that. Oh my god! Yeah, lots of really fun. This movie like almost takes on the uh, takes on the aesthetic of a comic book movie. Like the way they transition in and out of scenes is almost like like in Batman was like na 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 na. Like it's like <laughs> like our heroes are on to their their next part of their journey or whatever. Um, I, I love the way this is sequenced, and I love I love a, a, a lot of the montages in this are are, are fucking are just great. It, it, it it moves the movie along in a fun way. Yeah. The editing is really good, especially when they do like the, the slides, the quick slides between scenes when they're doing the, the split screen moments and, and just all the different fun ways that they, they spice up the editing and make it move very quickly. It's awesome. It's fucking awesome. And to, to double back around to uh, something that Janet Maslin said in that New York times, review about the main attraction is kept all too understandably under wraps. 
what she's saying is a bad is in my good. What, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think what sets this apart from its contemporaries, or I guess Rock and Roll High School is not its contemporary, but I'm going to directly, um, I'm going to directly compare it to Rock and Roll High School because Rock and Roll High School is a '70s movie about the '70s, and this is a '90s movie about the '70s, and they both use iconic '70s bands, obviously. But Rock and Roll High School uses the Ramones, and the Ramones were more of like a comic booky band. They were like a pop comic book kind of fucking band. Yeah, they're a bubblegum band. Yeah. So they're used in a much different way in Rock and Roll High School. Like they are acting in it and they're acting in their like really fucking goofy, fun way. What I like about this is that Kiss is elevated to a position of like a mythical quality, which is like their whole shtick. But I like that they don't appear until the last five minutes of the movie. I think that that is to the movie's benefit because it makes... It makes their journey to go see them so there's so much more impact when they finally get in to the concert and they finally seeing them play. And it's the very end of the movie. It it literally it catapults Kiss into a position of like they're put on like a pedestal. And that's I, I think that's very smart. Whereas you see like the fucking Ramones glad palling around like I love seeing DDB a dumb dick and, you know, all this shit. But like. This was this was expertly done, and I don't. That was like her detraction of the movie. It's so fucking weird. Also, have you ever seen Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park? No, no. you, you don't want you don't want these dum dums chewing up scenes. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably that's probably true. Yeah, Kiss Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park is it could we could talk about it on this podcast, but it might. I do like that movie. It's really dumb. It could be one of those movies that might fall below the bar a little too much. It had to be maybe <laughs> it had to get a special subsection Patreon mm. type thing because mm. it's one of those schlocky campy type of movies that, you know, doesn't fall maybe in the sweet spot that we try to hit with some of these things. Yeah. But yeah, but but like you're saying, the whole point with Kiss in the beginning was they were supposed to be this mythical comic book monster band. They were supposed to be Godzilla's essentially that were coming to destroy your town and peeking behind the curtain too much takes away from that. And by the time the nineties rolled around, obviously we had had 25 plus years of kids. We had already peeked behind the curtain. They had already become unmasked. We knew who the guys were. So the fact that this movie's trying to pay homage to that original Kiss era and the feeling that they were trying to generate, the aura, that to me also lends itself to treating them like you were saying and, and maybe was a directorial choice by Adam Rifkin, was to make sure that they are the final attraction. There's not some weird, goofy, slapsticky meeting between the guys and Gene Simmons where he runs into him without his makeup on before the show or something. I don't I don't think I don't think that would have helped. Yeah, I don't think that would have helped at all. I, they the fact that, that that they led up to that point did make a lot of sense. And it yeah, makes you excited yeah. for it. Like exactly. it genuinely creates 
a sense of excitement. You're along for the ride with these guys the whole time. You're rooting for them to get those fucking tickets somehow. And that final moment when they do and that the ticket taker buys into their ruse that they got the shit beat out of them. And that, that last, that last fucking, um, you know, moment before they go in, you're, you're right there with them. Like, this is sick. And you, you said so much good shit there. I love this idea of them being like a Godzilla. That's there. They're there to fuck. They're there to fuck your town up. I like that. I like that idea. Um, but I never thought of it like, yeah, up to this point in 1999, they had been unmasked. They had they had done everything, and we had seen much of them. Like the mystique had faded. So this goes back to this harkens back to like, what is the feeling that kids had in the 70s going to see their favorite rock band, but specifically Kiss, and going back and putting you in those shoes of what it would have been like? I, that is fucking so brilliant but also like you don't see kiss as a viewer till the end because the kids don't see kiss until the end so yeah. you are intrinsically on this journey with them and yeah. and so you the payoff at the end is for just as much the viewer as it is for for jam and and you know everyone else like it's it's that's really cool i like that yeah um I don't know what your feelings are about Natasha Leone, but I really like her a lot. I think she's a nut and most movies that I see her in, I really, I like what she does. So I like having her in this movie and I like the fact that they gave her a somewhat prominent side secondary role and she's got some pretty choice dialogue and that monologue that she gives to the boys in the car when they're giving her the ride where she just proves that she's the smartest one of the bunch. I really yeah. like a lot. <laughs> and the boy, yeah, the boys need to be put in their place too, because they, I like what I like about it is they are like shitty miscreants. It's like yeah. a good portrayal of like what teenage boys are, which is self self-centered and obsessed with like, and like oversexed. So yeah. it's really cool to have her there as, as to like, as a compass and to like reset these fucking fools. Uh, Cause she like, she toes the line between a Stella that can be won over by like, you know, some rock and rollers. So it's cool to have her be the one displaced from her group and to be the one that sets them straight. Um, I, yeah, I love her role and I love her in, in general. I think she does. She takes some really wild swings with her, with her acting choices and not a lot of it, you know, not all of it pays off, but I, I think I love an actor that's not afraid to just do whatever the fuck they want to do. Yeah. Just the fact that in her monologue, she's having where she makes the point to them that they need to shut their mouth because 
hey, you never know, Kiss might make a disco record someday. And it, like, that's no such a great, way. that is <laughs> such a shut, great, yeah. Sh- shuts them down. <laughs> and that's the benefit of making a movie in, in, in retrospect, like where you can make those subtle, funny references where like rock and roll high school is in the moment. So it doesn't get to like look back reflexively on like what the Ramones meant or like to look back on parts of their career that they hadn't even gotten to yet. Yeah. So it, it, that's a cool and there's little nods like that throughout like poking fun at kiss and and their trajectory like they would never sell out like the, right. that whole thing is uh, is <laughs> well, that was, so good that was the whole point of kiss to begin with was to sell out that was the whole shtick they were the they most merchandised band of yeah. all time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so exactly anyways. And to piggyback off of that overall, I, I'm not even like normally very nostalgic for like 70s aesthetics. Like, I, you know, it's fine. Um, but this soundtrack goes so hard. Like it so is so good. Uh, it never ends. It just, never ends. It's just you get like, I think at least two Thin Lizzy songs, um, yeah. which is it fucking rips. Uh, you get your main man, uh, Ted Nugent. <laughs> you know what I'm dropping uh, in here in post. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna do it in post, okay? Good. Uh, yeah, yeah, great stuff. You get Van Halen, obviously, all the Kiss songs that are that are in it. Like it, it's uh, it's really, really blue eyes for cult. You get the Ramones. Oh yes, yeah. How, how could I? How could I forget? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Um, incredible soundtrack, and you know, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Go, pairs pairs nicely with with the content. Um, other thing I was going to mention, a comedy specifically is only as good as its ability to make you laugh. Not only like upon initial viewing, but like does it have the legs to make you laugh with repeated viewings? This passes that test for me. Like this is the umpteenth time I've I've watched it, and I was like, literally laughing out loud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, to a, a ton of different parts. The scene that never ceases to not get me every time, uh, Hawk putting uh, Hawk puking into the pitcher on the on stage is such a cheap gag, but it gets me every time because it just never seems to fucking end. <laughs> like it's like yeah. a hose clearly connected to the side of his face that is just spewing into this pitcher. I I love a good. Uh, puke gag and that one that one gets me every time but not just that like the father mcnulty stuff and and just in general it's it's a fucking funny movie that's still funny well and that speaking of the father mcnulty parts and about jam's mom and about Mm -hmm. the scene where when they're in detroit jam's mom finds him and immediately pulls him by the ear to in into the confessional at the Catholic church. I like that this movie pokes a lot of fun at religion. It's very, very, uh, very sacrilege, sacrilegious. It is. It is very much so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it pits kiss up against the, you know, the moral majority and, and yeah. the religious right and, and everything that, that, that comes, comes with that. I, I love that as well, but that that made me think as well when you were saying that there's just fantastic bad guys, fantastic foils in this movie. The movie's like yeah. set up 
it's similar to like a side scroller video game where you have to like defeat Bebop and Rocksteady before you face Shredder or whatever. But except all the bad guys in this movie, like everybody is Bebop and Rocksteady. Like there right. isn't a final <laughs> boss necessarily. But, you know, you've got Elvis, the the I don't understand. I guess we could talk about this in questionable, but I don't understand. He's a hall monitor, but he's also like a fucking grown ass adult who should know better. He's a security <laughs> guard. He's a high school okay. security guard. High yeah, school essentially, security guard. Okay. He, he's essentially, he is an overgrown hall monitor. From he what is I an get. overgrown hall monitor. Yeah. Yeah. But so you've got, you've got Elvis, you've got Father McNulty, you've got Chongo, you've got uh, Mrs. <laughs> Bruce, you know, Jam's mom is definitely in there. You've got the two, the Tweedledee and Tweedledum roadie security guys. Um, like there's so many great, uh, like bargain budget basement bad guys. <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> got the Gui- you got the Guidos, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. You've got the Guidos and the Stellas. Um, one, one gets converted to the good side, obviously. Uh, but yeah, lots of, lots of great foils in this. That brings me to, because he's in there for such a short time, but I do think he's great. And apparently it wasn't in much else. I really like the shotgun robber. Yeah, man, he is like straight out of uh, Manson family. Like he's like he's on the. He looks like Zach Wild. He does look like he (laughs) he looks like Zach Wild on like PCP. Like he was clearly like the Jonesin. Yeah, it's a great, great little camp. Talk about someone doing five minutes worth of work. That guy. Yeah, he was doing some heavy lifting, which. I wanted to bring that up because it brings me to the next thing I like this about this movie that I don't know if you picked up on. But if you look up the IMDb for this movie in the credits, when they credit some of the the very minor characters, they have the greatest titles applied to them. So the shotgun robber guy is man with coat. <laughs> they have also a guy that's the really lucky hot tub dude, who I'm sure you remember him in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then they have for the chop shop guys, beefy jerks. Oh my god! <laughs> so those are some of the the credit appellations that are given to <laughs> people beefy in this movie. Is, beefy is, jerks, uh, damn. You know, about, about when we get off here, I'm about to do some beefy jerks. My God, right? But it's just funny to me that they they chose to not call them. No, no, yeah, chop yeah. chop shop guys, mechanics, but they're the beefy jerks. But that lends it to what you were saying also about them being these bosses or mini bosses in a game. Those are <laughs> you got to fight the beefy jerks. You got to fight the beefy jerks before you can move on to your next challenge, young which, young squire. Which brings me to one other point that I want to uh, give before I hand it back off to you is I love the fact that the beefy jerks are Bobby from The Sopranos and Kevin Corrigan because they both do a really good job. I was about to mention them uh, as well, so yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, Steve, the beefy Steve, beefy jerks are people. Steve Schrappa, I think that's his name, but I, he'll always be Bobby from The Sopranos to me. You will, yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't have a bunch more else. Uh, one random thing is this movie is is very like uh, linear, and you know, you know, 
it, not, they don't take too many risks in terms of like shooting the movie. But then there's a random point of view shot of Gene Simmons's tongue from inside his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> that shot is so cool and it's so weird because the movie is is played so straightforward up to that point. It's weird to see like a crazy fucking shot like that, but also like lends itself to the mysticism of seeing kiss for the first time. Like they're, they're, they're almost like from another fucking planet, which is what they're pretending to be, I guess. Yeah. What other good do you have? I mean, I have a few, but um, yeah, go ahead. I, I, as much as I have a lot of this and not a lot, but I have parts of this end of the questionable. I do like the Shannon tweeds in this because Shannon tweed is a babe, but the role that she plays is highly questionable, obviously, <laughs> but it lends yeah. itself, but it lends itself to a point that I want to make about this movie that elevates it and makes it so much fun is it sets up so many improbable situations. That's mm-hmm. what makes us hilarious. They, they do it so well to, to deliver these completely improbable teen fantasy teen shenanigan type of situations where it's like, well, you know, they keep getting into these syrups. How are they going to get out of this one? Or, but also on the flip side, with the Shannon Tweed stuff, that whole uh, scenario, that's a teen fantasy, obviously, is you just randomly having sex with this hot adult woman <laughs> that mm-hmm. just has her eye on you, which is questionable, but also... I like that that's in the movie. <laughs> that's a good that's a good way of putting it. It, it. But they make like they turn the improbable probable like nothing is in this where I'm like it takes me out of it because I'm like this is so absurd that I, I'm like it's relatable to a point. Right. Um, like sure. It, it, this is one of those like this specifically the Shannon Tweed stuff is almost like. It's almost like Kiss themselves. It's a mythical story that like Hawk will tell for the rest of his life and yeah. people will will or will not believe him about it. <laughs> like it's one of it's like almost like an urban legend uh, come to life. So, yeah, I, I love that that sort of angle on it. Um, but nothing ever crosses the line to where I, I'm checked out, though. Uh, like everything is still within the realm of of you know, feasibility is whether or not it's improbable though. You know? Yeah. I love it though. I love it. I agree. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out, I know we've talked about this show before. I don't know if you've watched any of it since we've had a discussion about it, but I really like supernatural. And for those of you that are listening or do listen, that might happen to be supernatural fans as well. There is a cameo. Well, at this point, it wouldn't have been it would have been noteworthy because I think this was kind of early in his career. But one of the ticket takers there at the very end before they get into the concert, the main one that they're having the conversation with is Julian Richings, who plays death from Supernatural. I know you have no context for this whatsoever. No, but that's crazy. But I, I love that. Yes. Supernatural at some point in the arc of the story the brothers who are in the in the show they meet death himself 
<laughs> and Julian Richards is the guy who plays Death, but he's a ticket taker there in in this mm-hmm. movie. Is it is it like um, is it like in Bill and Ted's Bogus Adventure, <laughs> <laughs> where he's got the the cowl and the and the scythe? No, yeah, <laughs> it's it's the the great thing about Supernatural is it's very tasteful in how it kind of creates some of its main characters where they, they give all of them human qualities to a, to a fault almost where all the demons and all the denizens of hell, they all look human. They all take on Mm. human forms so they can interact with the human world more efficiently Mm -hmm. because if they were their own, if they were unguised, they would basically blow everyone's mind or destroy people's minds. Like God can't, God cannot represent, be represented in his true form because people would just fry. Yeah. Your eyeballs would melt out of your face. So it's the same thing. I like that. Death and Satan and all the demons, any angels, they all have to take on, they call it in the show a vessel which is a mm. huge, just that they, they put on a human suit essentially so mm. they can interact with the humans. So. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And obviously the, the Bill and Ted death is, is a, is especially funny because it's a Ingmar Berg at the, the seventh seal. It, yeah. It's right. like making fun of, of death from the seventh seal. So it's an Ingmar Bergman thing, but that's yeah. what makes that even funnier. But yeah, I, I like both conceptualizations of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else in your good? I wanted to end this with a story real quick. Oh, good. Awesome. Charlotte, my partner, her, uh, up, she had an interesting upbringing for a variety of reasons, but she's from New York. She's from the Lower East Side and her grandparents and parents were both in the entertainment industry for decades And when she was a kid, she went to a birthday party for, again, because my brain's not working, I'm drawing a a blank on his name. He's a pretty famous photographer from New Mm. York. And uh, she said that Ace Freely was there and got blackout drunk (laughs) (laughs) and basically just passed out. So she has this vivid, she has this vivid memory of seeing Ace Freely just sh- shit and piss drunk at this dude's birthday party in the nineties. Uh, yeah, that, talk about taking away from the the whole mythical experience. <laughs> seeing seeing the 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 star spaceman yeah. spaceman. Sorry, I almost said Star Child. That's that's uh, Paul. Uh, Paul. But yeah, seeing space space Ace just pissing himself on the floor Uh, uh, take you to the moon and back Uh, you're a real shitty extraterrestrial (laughs) so anyway it's either drunk drunk ace freely or a sober stallone it's (laughs) right same fucking thing i did i did want to say because it is (laughs) it is replete with one-liners and i don't know which one i'm gonna pick but I did want to say one of the lines right now. Yeah, uh, I, I already did. So we could step on our, our dicks a little bit. Because it's right in the beginning and it's from Lynn Shea. Is when she's getting jam dressed t- or telling him to change his clothes for that matter. Mm. 
and she says about his jeans, take off those jeans. Besides, those jeans are so tight, I can see her penis. <laughs> It's, always, it, it, it's so good because there's always something quasi like sexual about overtly religious people. Like, yeah. it's almost like they're like horny in the wrong ways. Well, yeah, that, and that's the point that they're trying to make with her and with the priest is they're yeah. all repressed. Yeah, they're all like just just bottling up all of their sexual tension to the point where. You know, when they feel that they can finally let some of it out a little bit, or they let it out in weird, creepy ways. They can't express it in a healthy manner. <laughs> it's like a homeschool kid that is asked to, like, socialize after high school. And it's like, what is wrong with your brain? Like, you're, you like, something was like, you clearly didn't have the, the, the rigorous torturings of a public school. <laughs> laid upon you <laughs> so so and it your shows. brain was your yeah your brain was damaged a different way than everybody else's yeah, so damaged. Pretty, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've clearly never had a bosco stick and it and it shows jeremiah <laughs> or whatever yeah. okay okay that was great that was some great story story time with uncle yeah. adam there we go let's move on to the bad i rarely if never do this i couldn't even in a um, in a fun, creative way come up with some bad. I just don't have bad um, at all. That I, I don't I I don't do this very often. But I, I couldn't even come up with anything. Do you have any bad? Yes, I do. I have one in particular, and then one that's more of a, a speculative bad. Okay, good, 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 good. <clears throat> I really think it's unfortunate what happened to Edward Furlong. Oh, that's a good point. His trajectory and where he's at now, and just the the fact that he he just got so chewed up and spit out by a lot by his own undoing. And did you think about? Sorry, sorry. I was just gonna say, did you think about all? I, all I could think about in the strip club scene with Ron Jeremy is that picture of him and Ron Jeremy at the bar where they yes. they look like fucking bloated mongoloids. That's yes. all I could think about in that scene. Absolutely. I thought of that, too. And I wanted to put in my good Ron Jeremy because I do like seeing Ron Jeremy in movies from the 80s and 90s at the non-pornographic ones. I like his. Hey, don't worry. I like his porno, too. But um, Ron yeah, he's Jeremy, the only one too, that could just show up like in a cameo and everyone would just be like, that's Ron Jeremy. Yeah. And everybody. <laughs> that, be no one's because, else. Yeah. Um, but it is unfortunate also what happened with Ron Jeremy, because. Ron Jeremy, he was one of the few actors that crossed the threshold in the mainstream movies in such a way mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the uh, no pun intended, the taint of his adult career. <laughs> that, no, that is pun intended. <laughs> look, it didn't linger on him. And so you could, most people, even if they'd never seen an adult film in their home, whole movie, they knew who Ron Jeremy was. He was so iconic. And seeing him in a movie was always fun. You're like, oh, Ron Jeremy. You never had to ever see Ron Jeremy put a penis in a vagina and you would still appreciate him in a movie. But you knew that, oh, he's the porno guy. He but became then, a household figure. Like if your mom and dad know who he is, he's transcended pop culture. He's transcended the, the porn industry into pop culture. Right. But then, you know, as with Edward Furlong, they both they went down a dark path 
and and because of that they do have this reputation of being shitty has-beens because they are kind of shitty dudes and that's With unfortunate Furlong, it it's especially a, a little bit perplexing because he bookends the 90s with T2 at the beginning of the 90s when he was like 13 or whatever. And then he ends his 90s run with American History X and, and this. It, yeah. That's incredible. That's yeah. incre- his, his performance in American History X is unbelievably good. Uh, you would have thought that he just had a – that he was just on a, a fucking trajectory at that point. But yeah, it just – but and the much no. much maligned Pet Cemetery Two was right there in the middle, I guess. But, but <laughs> as we said before, we've made this ro- the the Roy Batty reference. The brightest stars burn out the quickest. Yeah, yeah, that's basically uh, the last good thing he did, and then it was just all downhill from there. I like. The, I think it came yeah. out after. I like Pecker. Maybe it came out before. I don't know if Pecker's you ever seen Pecker. before because Pecker is okay. ninety eight. But yeah, it's like, but it's like Pecker, American History X, and Detroit Rock City is like a one year span. Yeah, he yeah. Like went out. He like went out. <laughs> <laughs> he really went did. out on his and, horse. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting to think about with this movie. I don't know if you did, but he still looks really, really young. So much I so know. that it. I had to think about. Wow, it was six seven years between when he was in t2 and this and he doesn't look like he aged he he does but he doesn't he definitely looks old he he looks haggard to a certain extent but he doesn't look like he's in his 20s he looks like a haggard teenager (laughs) he still has the during the the strip club scene, he still has like baby fat on him. Like he I still know. has like the body of a of a teenager, which makes that scene a little bit more uncomfortable because we just have a double standard when it comes to the sexualization of of younger people. So yeah. it's okay for like there to be a scene with a young teenage boy stripping and then sleeping with a, a much older person. That would be yeah. predatory in when the roles are reversed, so. right? I mean, I know you hinted at that with yeah. the Shannon Tweed stuff, but yeah, when he's stripping, it, he, he's got the body of a boy. Like that is like a boy. Like that's what I would imagine Michael Sarah looks like, right? <laughs> and he's and he's twenty two in that in that. I know, that, I know. Twenty one, crazy. I, I mean, I love it because I, I, it adds some. It adds a, a stark reality to that scene. Um. You know, you wouldn't want him to take a shirt off and he's like fucking ripped with a six pack or whatever. Like, that'd be weird as hell. That would be, yeah, that would defeat the, pur- the point. Mm-hmm. It would defeat the purpose, yeah. Um, and I had one more thing. But this is a, this is a bad with a disclaimer. Hmm. And I need to explain this in a way that I need to explain this gently in this okay. era, in, in this time an era that we live in where everybody gets offended or takes offense to everything to use it to their advantage to morally high road everybody. But 
it is bad that the the word fag is used repeatedly through this movie in hindsight obviously all together but definitely in hindsight but and this is the disclaimer i hope people are on <laughs> people of my age and your age and maybe will take this a little bit more easier than people that might be younger than us or whatever but to me it's almost like using that word liberally in movies is of such a bygone era that it when i hear it it's like you wince but you're also like yeah but that's how it was you know you know what i mean i i i struggled with this as well and i land in the camp that's like for the authenticity of right. kids growing up in the 70s i don't have a a problem with it and i think it's okay i think it's good to wince about it cuz it shows how far we've come at least and to where we're several generations removed and we wince at that whereas if we go back in time that word could be thrown around and no one would bat an eye exactly at it so i think it's good that we've come far with that cuz i think it takes generations to to weed that kind of shit out and so the, the even the fact that we're talking about it or that it makes us even feel uncomfortable it like you know it perks your ears up you hear it you know you hear hawk call like jam a faggot and you're like oh god like ugh. but yeah you know, I, it didn't it didn't offend me no because in the sake for the sake of the movie i thought it was it was what kids would have called each other in the 70s in the 80s and the 90s i mean that's there's what it the culture was still I mean, that didn't that shit didn't get weeded out until after the 90s right and and i'm glad that you, you put it that way because this brings me to a point that irks me with how certain words are treated now is there's always context to it so yeah. my favorite comedians are all these people from the 70s 80s and 90s that use words within a comedic context there was a comedic delivery to it and so words like this these the 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 bucket list of offensive (laughs) words the the new you know george carlin seven words it's actually like a hundred now at this point a million it it's one of those things that rubs me the wrong way in a different way than hearing people say that word that also, mm-hmm. if you hear it in a certain context, you also shouldn't lose your fucking mind over it, and no, and immediately cancel quote unquote everything. So, yes, that was why I wanted to say it with caveats and disclaimers. Bad, but also I'm okay with it because of the context. Yeah, it's all the context of the situation. I agree. Right. So that's it. That's all I have for bad. That was great. You you carried the category. You put me on your shoulders and you said, we're going (laughs) to find some water in Uh, this arid desert. I was going to say, yes, when when you saw that there were two sets of footprints and then there was only one in the bad category. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's when I was carrying you. What an allegory. (laughs) (laughs) Questionable. First, right off the bat, Chongo is an all-star track star. 
all-state track star? <laughs> what? <laughs> that dude is not a track star. I, I mean, he's clearly like a mongoloid linebacker. Like, he plays football, and I cannot see him in any other sport. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? I guess, so, when I think track star, I, I, I automatically think, like, sprinting and running events. I guess he could be, like, a discus dickhead. Like, that would be track, right? It's true. You could be a pole vaulter or a that javelin guy's not a pole thrower. Vaulter. He's got to be throwing shit. He's got to be, like, discus yeah. or, like... Or do you even do discus in high school? I don't know. But, yeah, you could be a javelin. I think they do. They definitely do javelin throwing. So maybe he's a javelin thrower. He's got to be <laughs> throwing something. He's just mass. He's just so massive. There's no way. <laughs> also, Chongo. Well, that wasn't in my good, but what a what a name. That is, this is a perfect name. This is so oh. good. Yes, great name. I also wanted to add to the list of throwing this shot put. He could be a shot put thrower. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, he could definitely be a, a shot put guy. So I'm glad I added this to questionable so we could askew <laughs> what exactly he did. Uh, what questions do you have? I have like one or two more. Um, <clears throat> not necessarily a questionable in terms of content uh, or plot holes or any of that, but which do you think had more of a cache of quintessential fun teen movies, the eighties or the nineties? Which, oh. which, which era, which decade? I think, I mean, there's two answers here. The The right answer is the eighties. Yes. My favorite movies are from the nineties though. There you go. Okay. So the nineties isn't replete as replete with as many, but the nineties, the spar the, the, the sparing movies that they did have, I, I, I enjoy more if that makes sense. Do you, are you in general a fan of 90s teen movies? It's, 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 it's a kind of a wasteland. <laughs> I like, I'm kind of a sucker for 90s teen movies, comedies. It's the, it's the year, it's like the decade that I grew up in. So it's more nostalgic. Uh, so I, I don't look back on it as like, I, I just look back on it as like, those are my years. Those are like my years of growing up. So I, it's, you know, a biased view. And I hate like the brat club, the brat pack bullshit. I fucking hate all those. You don't like any of those. You don't like John Hughes movies. I fucking hate John Hughes. And I fucking hate John Hughes movies. Uh, Ferris Bueller's day off is my most hated movie of all time. I fucking hate, absolutely fucking hate it. I hate it. Hate it. Hate it. That is nutty. That is so (laughs) nutty. Yeah. It's funny because John Hughes, uh, was an unrepentant Republican, and it shows in his movies if you know that. But I love John Hughes movies, despite the fact <laughs> that he's evil. Apparently, that they're all about white people. They're all about white suburban people, essentially. That is, except what? if like they throw in like a minority, like Ducky or whatever the fuck, and they're given a sh- stupid fucking name. And Ducky's not a minority. You're thinking of Long <laughs> Duck Dong. A Long Duck Dong. Uh, is that yes. also uh, is that also um, pretty in pink? Don- yes, Long Duck Dong is in pretty in pink. Uh, that is wait, so no, much no. worse than Ducky. No, no, no. that is so Sorry. much worse. Long Duck Dong is in Sixteen Candles. 16 Ducky candles. is in pretty. 
Ducky is in Pretty in Pink. Ducky, Ducky is, is in Pretty in Pink and is is just the, the whitest person ever. His name is Long Duck Dong. Yeah, this it's is so pretty, much worse. It's pretty that rough. so much worse than anything I could have imagined. I thought his name was Ducky, and I was like, that's bad, I guess. No. Long Duck Dong is, like, beyond reproach in terms of offensiveness yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty bad uh speaking Holy of being fuck. canceled speaking of <laughs> um but you don't like home alone that was written by john hughes yeah but i don't consider that part of the hughes averse hughes okay fair enough um that is a christopher so columbus film my friend <laughs> um it is you're right but nonetheless written by john hughes um well, what I wanted to say was, I got off track, but <clears throat> I did not like 90s teen sitcom movies in the 90s. Did not give a fuck. Didn't watch any of them. Didn't care. I was too I was too hardcore for that shit. But mm-hmm. in the 2000s, I did start to acquire an appreciation for them. So I do like Can't Hardly Wait. I like, um, what is it, the... Uh, the Liv Tyler, Tom Hanks one about the, that's not, I mean, it's not, it's a nineties movie, but it's, it's about the fifties. Um, that thing oh, you do, that thing that you thing, do. Yeah. Doing the thing. Yeah. Um, 10 things I hate about you. I do like that. I will say there is one nineties teen sitcom movie though, that I fucking can't stand. Did not ever meet the smell test. And that is empire records hate that fucking mm. movie with mm-hmm. a passion yeah anyways I'm with you on empire records for sure it's such a pile of shit that's my uh little 90s teen movie discussions comedy <laughs> well it's interesting that you uh you basically had posed a question for me i posed a question for you whose journey did you enjoy the most um in this film so hawk hawk jam Lex or Trip, whose journey did you find the most enjoyable? Yeah, that's a tough one. I kind of like Trips the most. He's like, he's the biggest shithead of the group, clearly. He is. He He doesn't get it. He's the dumbest fucking idiot shit shit bag. But I love that. Does his, no, his character does not, he is just a photocopy of jay from jay and silent bob like right it's almost they should have been sued (laughs) yeah but just because of the fact that i love the whole mini mart scene yeah the stretch armstrong does it for me yeah it's because of that because of the stretch armstrong bit yeah and i'm gonna say go ahead i was gonna say and the fact that them getting one over and getting into the concert completely pivots off of his well, journey. It's, be- it's because of trip. Yeah. It's because of at trip. the end. Well, and that's, what's the point of the movie is they, they need to redeem trip because it starts off where, uh, jam's mom fucks them, mm-hmm. but it's not really necessarily jam's fault. Jam is just none the wiser mm-hmm. that his mom's going to take the tickets. Yeah. Trip's the one that fucks them, though, when they think that they've got it in the bag. He's the idiot. He's just stupid because he hung up. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got to be the one that gets redeemed in the end, and he does. That's the good way to think of it. 
because he turns it on its head because he's just he's just portrayed as the dummy but then he actually comes up with a really smart plan to redeem the night so you're right anyways um i did have a couple more questionables and then unless you have any more we can move on no i don't have any i think it's interesting and also questionable that they decide that it's completely okay to tie up the two Guidos and the one Stella and leave them on the side of the road beaten to shit with the car in the ditch. That's completely morally, I guess, uh, on track for them or whatever, strategically. But then um, the point I'm trying to make is then they decide that they should pick up Christine. Hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is if they were real shitheads, they would have just blown past Christine. I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess they kind of are. They are having that discussion. They almost do. She's the only one that shows any sort of qualities that, that they, that they find endearing whatsoever, as opposed to the other idiots. Yeah. So I guess not. that wasn't a good questionable. Scratch that. Anyways, <laughs> we already kind of <laughs> talked about the last one, which was, would Shannon Tweed be a child molester? Yes. Unequivocally. <laughs> yeah. So she's literally that. a predator. I mean, she just literally hangs out at amateur night at the strip club and, yeah. and took home the, the babyest face on the stage. She could have had her choice of any of the other chongos. <laughs> yeah. She could have had any of that, any, any of that rope swing and stud, <laughs> any of that long duck dong. <laughs> yeah. She had the pick of the long duck dong in the club and she, she picked the most prepubescent. So yeah, that's, that's predatory to me. Okay, great. Um, well then let's just, segue smoothly into our awards uh section let's give a, let's give out some 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 midnight flixy awards you get here. an award and you get an award and you get an award yes yes you all do <laughs> whatever okay joe burnout let's get one thing straight here as far as i'm concerned good tunes is good tunes be it disco a rock or polka or whatever have you regardless of the category I mean, disco is just easier to dance to. You call that Danny Terrio, John Travolta shit dancing? <laughs> hey, you know something? Disco's so fucking big right now, I wouldn't be surprised if Kiss did a disco song song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, if it's one thing Kiss will never do, it's a bullshit disco song. No shit, man. Yeah, man. Disco blows dogs for quarters, man. <laughs> That's an intelligently yeah. biting remark brought with wit and irony. Well, if you don't fucking like that one, maybe you'll think it's really funny when we kick your fucking ass out of the car. <laughs> Yeah, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Why don't you lick my hairy crap? <laughs> why don't you bend over? You're looking right at it. David Mendenhall Award goes to the worst performance. I struggled mightily with this. Who do we have to bestow this I actually category have upon? Uh, I actually have two. Okay. <laughs> Good. The worst performances were delivered by Everclear doing that reprehensible Thin Lizzy cover in the credits, as well as Marilyn Manson doing that 
equally deplorable Highway to Hell cover. So fuck both of those bands for those shitty ass covers. That is so astute of you. <laughs> Phil Lynette should have crawled out from the grave like in Return of the Living Dead when that hand comes out and it's fucking party time and choked the ever living fuck out of every member of Everclear for even touching the boys are back in town. My gosh. Yeah, get, get your filthy fucking hands off my Thin Lizzy songs, my boys. Gosh, that's real bad. I'm going <laughs> to piggyback on that uh, way to think outside the box. I was stuck like a mime in, a, in my own box <laughs> of emotions. I couldn't even think <laughs> of anything else. The Frank Booth Award goes to the character who best belongs in a David Lynch movie. Uh, <laughs> who do you think? I gave it to the scalper. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. I said Father McNulty. <laughs> yeah, he was my other thought. But I, the scalper gave off hella creep, Willem yeah. Dafoe, Wild at Heart vibes. Yeah, you're right. You're and right. He, he also had some good one-liners too, particularly the the big breastuses and tight vestuses. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, he yeah. was. So that's mine. The EG Daily uh, Secret Admirer Award goes to the biggest on-screen crush, the category that continues to ask us <laughs> to rank teenage <laughs> teenage portrayed characters and say which one we would bang. Um, <laughs> who is your secret crush? Mine. Uh, I finally, I broke, I broke free of my wall of emotions, my box of emotions, uh, and was able to think clearly for the first time. Mine is going to go to Lynn Shay because I just love her so much. She deserves an award, and I'm going to give her my on-screen crush because she crushes this performance, and I am in love with her performance. That's an age-appropriate one. Um, and yeah, also, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not falling. Not today, Satan. I'm not falling for it. I'm not, <laughs> not going to say the girl that Jam had sex with in the confessional or anything like that, even though everyone in this movie is older than me at this point, acting wise. Yeah, I put lots to choose from because there's a lot of babes in this movie. But uh, <laughs> again, because we want to avoid this minefield, I'm going to step directly <laughs> in it. I already said Shannon Tweed, so her. But also, the less obvious, I've always thought the the Mini Mart lady in this is like a real cutie patootie. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Tripp's Tripp's quick, uh, quickie girlfriend. Yeah, I love that. I I love that idea. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, she's got uh, side ponytail Mad Max 2 vibes. She's got EG Daily vibes. She's she's that too. Yeah, she's a she's a real she's a real EG Daily type. If if her if her character was elaborated upon more, yeah, so. yeah, she doesn't get a lot of screen time. Okay, the toughest category that we have for a movie such as this. Welcome to the welcome to primetime bitch award, which goes to the best one liner. Um, what do you have for us? I'll just, I'll defer back to, and besides those jeans are so tight. I can see your penis. That's, I, that's I, good. I that's a good one, but there's a lot. I, I love when the boys are, are, are shoved into the, in the, into the girls 
bathroom stall. Um, and uh, one of them, I, I, it's Lex. I'm pretty sure it's Lex. He says, man, I've never heard a girl blow ass before. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. not rip, but blow. I've never heard a girl blow ass before. That's good. And, and that girl like so delicately and petitely sits down and just like starts ripping that. That's that's just good old fashioned fart joke humor. Lots of fart and puke shit. I love it. That was a thing, too. I, I'm sure you experienced this as a teen boy, but we would have that discussion quite a bit when I was an adolescent and young teen was we would <laughs> we would talk about girls we were dating or hanging out with. Or thing uh, girls that we thought were cute, but then we'd we'd say, "Yeah, can you imagine her just like sitting on a toilet, just grunting away, making her just gnarliest <laughs> shit face? Can you imagine that girl doing that?" And we just, you know, <laughs> we just have such a great time just thinking about these cute girls just sitting on on the toilet, just laughing ass blowing ass trip i I know we've talked about how shitty shitty trip is the shittiest one here but there's a trip quote that that makes me cringe almost worse than the the, than than hawk calling uh well calling various people faggots but um when trip is uh when christine's in the car trip is like let's lift up her skirt (laughs) he's like what is there he's so clueless he's so fucking dumb i'm glad they have the other ones to keep him in check but like that's what he's thinking of doing like she's in the car and he's like let's hold her down and lift her skirt up like that's what we that's what he wants to do in that moment yeah and he straight up says when are you gonna give us a blow job yeah 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 doubles down <laughs> yeah yeah he's got some <laughs> what, cringy, cringy what a lines. ding dong yeah. What a ding dong okay let's uh finish this up with the the wiki wormhole there was a plethora of fun facts, but I chose my favorites. You can add to it uh, as you see fit. Um, this one is blowing my mind, but this was the first film to be released on DVD before VHS. That's oh. fucking nuts. Yeah, I didn't know that. You even think about that. Um, Kiss reenacted a 1970s era concert for 3,000 fans for this movie. That would have been the coolest fucking thing on the planet. Or the yeah. worst fucking thing on the planet. Like seeing mm-hmm. Kiss play Detroit Rock City 17 times. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not sure. That would have been fun. but And then you just have to keep the enthusiasm up the whole time. Yeah, you got to uh, keep rocking. Uh, yeah. yeah, and now we're going to play Shout It Out Loud 17 times. So let's go. Which means that that outro chorus, which is just them saying Shout It Out Loud a million times, is then exponentially made... Even more millions of times. <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally an, an inception of shout it out louds, which is still <laughs> nowhere near as long as Hey Jude. It's just in, right. in in a normal sense. <laughs> when he God, I fucking hate Hey Jude so much. But when at the end, yeah. when he's just like Jude, 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 Hey Jude, 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 I I feel like I'm having a fucking aneurysm. I, yeah, fuck off. That song. God fucking damn it. Uh, Gene Simmons handpicked Natasha Lyonne to play Christine. Whenever I see Gene Simmons handpicked and then underage actress, I, I get a little creeped out, but that's, that's fun. Um, 
I wonder what he saw in her or if like if he saw her in something um, before this. Well, I hate to break it to you, but my man Gene had his hands on a lot of underage women in his time. Yeah. Uh, uh, For those of you that are still somewhat naive about the exploits of rockers and rollers, especially from uh, up to at least 20 years ago. So many hands on so many underage breasts. You think that dude's a virgin? <laughs> Can you have so much sex that you're bas- you're you're just at that? It like goes back around. Now you're a virgin now. Well, you or too a much. Un- you're a eunuch. You just burn your dick right off. <laughs> just become a, you're a virgin by way of your dick falling off, and you're just becoming a mannequin eunuch type. Yeah, I did. I I fell down a rabbit hole not too long ago, where I looked up essentially the the metrics of how many people certain celebrities had had sex with so there's there's an itemized list of who who's banged the most people and gene simmons is up there for sure but it's just interesting to see some of the people charlie sheen on there charlie sheen um dennis rodman David Duchovny. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly not. Um, I did I ever tell you? Never mind. I'm not going to get on that fucking track. Uh, oh, Jesus. But yeah, Gene Simmons, obviously up there. But just these people that would write these articles, they would try to actually rank how many, and it's just like four thousand people, or yeah, it just gets to ten thousand people. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just at that point, it's. It's just an arbitrary number. It like, doesn't can, even mean anything. Yeah, but even thinking about it, can you imagine fucking 10,000 people? <laughs> and then you break it down. You'd have to, in your mind, you're certain to develop scenarios where, okay, mathematically, they're this, they're this old. So that means they would have had to be like plug in three people per day for this long it's just nutty to think about. <laughs> yeah, it's not even that's not even sex at that point. That's like more that's a job. It's like work. It's it very you've, much is. You finally made sex like obsolete and a chore at that point. It can be a chore a lot of times. It is a fucking chore. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Continue on, sorry. Talking about this movie being in the perfect honey hole of length, the original cut of this film is over three hours long. What in the oh, holy hell no. is in that original cut? Yeah, we don't need that. I would buy it, though. If they put it out, I would buy it and watch it. Because that seems insane. That's literally twice the length. That's no, what insane. Do you think? What do you think this is? Fucking Ben-Hur doing like a Cecil B. DeMille <laughs> fucking movie? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I want to see the Caligula cut of of, <laughs> of, the shit, of Detroit Rock City. Yeah. In a deleted scene, Hawk told Amanda that he never knew his mother because she died while giving birth to him. This could explain why he yells at Tripp and Lex for making fun of um, each other's mothers at the beginning of the movie, which is interesting. Yeah. So apparently the other 90 minutes is just Hawk or yeah, Hawk telling Amanda <laughs> about the the awful story of his mother dying, giving birth to him. Okay. Each member of the band Mystery mirrors... I I thought this was really cool because I didn't think about this. Mirrors a member of KISS. They even get together with girls appropriate to their counterparts. Hawk 
is Paul Stanley and gets the supermodel. Jam is Peter Chris and gets Beth, who's named after his solo song. Trip is Ace Freely and gets a spacey girl. And Lex is Gene Simmons and gets Christine, who's named after one of his trademark songs. Right. I did like that they they did have women or girls in, in this movie that were named after Kiss songs, yeah. which is appropriate. But yeah, I didn't know that, that all four of them essentially had pairings with appropriate Kiss member uh, women. The only one that I, I like, I, I understood the pairings to a certain degree, but yeah, I didn't understand the girls in relation to that. Like I like jam being Peter Chris makes sense because Peter Chris throws the drumstick at the end and jam catches it. And there's a whole thing about him wanting to do that in that moment. So yeah, yeah I, did, I didn't, I didn't know how deep that went. This is interesting. Richard Linklater was asked to direct this movie. I, I'm, curious as to how this would have turned out um so so he would have followed the boys until they were 40 years old after their kiss concert yeah and that's how where, we get the three hour long detroit rock city right <laughs> um we usually start the wiki wormhole with this um but i i glazed over it because uh, there's obviously not a, there's not a kill count on this one um no one dies but there is a fuck count and the words fuck fucking or fucker are said 83 times. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's fun. That's a- um, and one last one. I don't know what you think about this. I think this is fucking total trash. Not that I, yeah, whatever. Jonathan Taylor Thomas was considered for the role of Hawk. Um, he was also subsequently considered for the role of jam, but got neither. I think Hawk is absurd. Like I, I, can't even imagine that i could see him as jam maybe yeah. but i i like it just the way it is yeah i agree that would have been a bad bad call for hawk edward for like edward furlong is hawk to me in my head i can't even imagine jonathan taylor thomas like cosplaying as a bad boy like that that seems odd and off base um, no any fun facts that you came across or that you want to talk about? I didn't even delve into it. I, I wanted okay. you to take the wheel on this one. So yeah, I did. No problem. There you go. It's my movie with, with a plum. Thank you. Well then let's, uh, let's assign a rating to this, uh, which we first have to find some sort of iconography from the film out of how many, what's are we rating this out of? Out of five Kiss concert how, tickets, I was gonna say because my I, I love when Lynn Shea sits down to that Carpenter's record and then throws the fucking wine in her face. Yeah. Such an absurd take out of out of five uh, <laughs> Merlot stained Lynn Shea faces. <laughs> out of five rubber man men. Oh uh, yeah, stretch we Armstrong. could do Stretch Armstrongs. Let's do Stretch Armstrongs. Out of five um, stretch Armstrongs, yeah. Out of five stretch Armstrongs, what do you give this? Because I'm trying to again constrain myself, I'm I'm gonna give this. I'm gonna give it a four, four and a half. It's close because it's just it is a really fun, compact movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um. I am not going to show any restraint. I'm just going to give it a five, five stretch Armstrongs. Um, I could, I struggled to even come up with any bad. It's uh, about as close to a perfect 
road trip comedy that I can that I can think of. Um, so I, I yeah. it's endlessly entertaining for me. One of my favorite movies. Uh, five, five Stretch Armstrongs. Which again goes back to it's so wild that this got so panned because I know I know it's bizarre. But so that's strange. why we're. We're not official critics. We're just hack fucking bedroom critics here. Also, if it had been like, if it had been applauded, uh, then we wouldn't have even been talking about it because it would have been just been dazed and confused. And then we, we would just, it wouldn't have even been on our radar for this podcast. Precisely. And it's funny because I didn't even think of it being kind of a movie that we would cover until, after I had learned that it was such a panned movie, but now it I makes know. sense. Yeah. 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 Anyways. So what is on the next episode? It's your choice. Well, I was having trouble picking what was going to be next, but I think the decision that you made has steered me in the direction that keeps me basically on the sequential path of my list. Mm. And this is a movie that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. And you picked a comedy. So I'm going to pick a comedy. Oh, I, fun. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to pitch you back the other way. Like we've been doing, like we're going to, we're going to stay right in this, this area. Cause I care about you, Pat. <laughs> and, I, and I want you to like me. So I'm not going to throw some depressing, weird movie at your feet that you would like but wouldn't ever want to watch again. <laughs> what we're going to watch is we're going to watch a Martin Scorsese. This is a, also our first Martin Scorsese movie. Whoa. Deep cut. Maybe not at this point because it's been appreciated in hindsight a little bit more due to recent circumstances. But we're going to watch The King of Comedy. Oh, and something that you've... Uh that you've brought up uh, in the past because we were talking about either on mic or off mic. Cause this is in reference uh, to the Joker, right? To the Joker. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it'll be our first Martin Scorsese movie and first Robert De Niro movie. Well, uh, Cape fear. Oh, that's right. Never mind. I knew there was one there. So second Robert De, De Niro movie. That's right. First Martin. No second. Yeah. Because Cape fear. So we've had, I, fr- I completely We've, forgot. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, we've had the <laughs> Martin Scorsese De Niro pairing before in Cape Fear. So we're we're going back to the Scorsese De Niro well with yes. uh, with um, King of Comedy. Yeah, it's great shit. It's a great movie, and I I love it to pieces. So, and I've never seen it. So let's go. Nice. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks, as always, to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music is brought to you by a little up-and-coming band by the name of Knights in Satan Service, (laughs) a.k.a. Kiss. If you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod and TikTok at midnightflixpod. For Adam Walker, I'm Pat Mitchell. See you next week for The King of Comedy. Goodbye.